With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Dan Baer's interview with the composer for The Goldfinch, Trevor Gorekis. Hi, Trevor. Hello. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to start um, by talking a little bit about uh, your history and your work prior to The Goldfinch. Um, this is not your first film score, uh, but it is the first narrative feature anyway that you've scored that has been released. So you're a little bit new to a lot of people, I think, in film. but. You have done a lot of work previously, uh, concert work, and you composed music for a ballet, and you <laughs> produced uh, for Kanye West, and you assisted for Philip Glass and Nico Muley. Mm-hmm. How has, yeah. have all these things sort of informed where you ended up doing work for um, for this film? I think it's one of those things where you kind of find your way by your experience experience kind of uh almost like you're you're taking on a a, a river of uh, different um opportunities you find that the best places or the best opportunities in front of you you just kind of like go with it and so like my undergrad degree was in uh, piano performance uh so at that time i was pretty sure i was going to be a classical pianist hmm. um and I was like, well, that's it. That's I'm going to do that. So by my <laughs> senior year of uh, college, this was at UT Austin, um, I started to get into composing because I really loved the music of like living composers and, and uh, or, you know, more recent composers at least, um, like uh, Ligeti. And I was even getting into Philip Glass at the time. And so I started writing music and then I went to Yale for uh, composition and I was full on all right I'm gonna write symphonies and operas that's like it that's like my plan and then once I, well, I interned for Philip for uh, my uh, two years two-year program so my both of the summers there um, I sort of like saw that you really need to be very self-sufficient obviously mm-hmm. as a composer but also open to basically anything that comes your way <laughs> and and uh, be prepared and learn all the skill sets you need. And it's not like, I mean, that Philip is like going to be able to pull out a hip hop beat or anything. But (laughs) if someone was like, you know, Kanye West really needs like Philip to write like an arrangement for 
uh, something, like he'd be like, "Yeah, sure, why not?" <laughs> <laughs> I would like to hear Philip Glass do hip hop, actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that has actually come up, <laughs> but uh, he would do, you know, some string arrangement, and it would sound amazing because he's got that kind of pattern, and you know, mm-hmm. work. But the idea being that, like, you know, being open to all the possibilities and avenues as a composer that are presented in front of you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I worked for, uh, for Philip for a, a while. I worked in Nico was working for Philip at the time and then he got really busy himself. So then I kind of took his job. That's kind of like the, the musical chairs that happened. Okay. Um, and that's what happened also with another composer, Alex Weston. He, he, he was my intern and now he works there and he's, he did the score for the farewell. Uh, he's really oh, wow. talented. You know, I did that, and then I was actually developing or building a music company with another composer named Jay Wadley, and we were kind of, he was working for Rufus Wainwright, and it was uh, on his opera, uh, and it was apprenticeship kind of world, where we were like, mm. well, how are we going to make a living? How are we going to figure this out? And we kind of just slowly built up opportunities off of opportunity, and then it's kind of like building each other's courage <laughs> it's like we're, we can do this we can do this as a team yeah. uh, we didn't like compose together but we were just you know partners in terms of support and um you know things led to another thing and meeting people and in this case i had worked with uh sue jacobs the music supervisor who's incredible and she did like big little lies and um uh, sharp objects and just mm. like some best uh, music supervision ever and uh, I worked with her on a small independent film called Wetlands and she's asked me many times in the past you know oh you know, give it a shot at this or give it a shot at this film and and they were all just like you know you try and you try and nothing happens and that's totally cool and this is the same kind of situation it was you know and often the cases the caveat is you know you don't really have any credit so right. <laughs> yeah. and this was definitely the case because it was like well this is like a hollywood you know studio film and you don't really have a, sh- a shot at this <laughs> but like <laughs> why don't you write some music and think about the themes and the colors and the you know you don't have a lot of time you have to like do this in a couple days but one give it a shot and so i wrote like uh the first piece of music which is the first piece of music that's in a film mm-hmm. and that's actually the first thing that i ever wrote for this and it just connected well with john and uh you know over time i just kept writing more music trying to get my music into uh earlier cuts as they were you know struggling to find the right music tone for the film um, so I was trying to fill in the gaps. I was like, not even hired the composer yet. I was just writing music, just throwing them piano music and violin mm-hmm. music, orchestra, you know, temp stuff that they could just temp into the film because they needed some direction. And Sue was like, yeah, just keep sending stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so you really helped shape this movie, it sounds like, <laughs> before you were even hired. <laughs> oh, well, I, yeah, we were all, it's funny. It was, you know, I think John, um, and I've, I've said this in another of the interviews I've 
ever done it and published yet. So maybe they'll all happen at once. <laughs> <laughs> but I've mentioned this that I that you know this is my theory. I've never necessarily talked to John about this, but his background in theater might have something to do with the somewhat collaborative quality that I felt with this film mm. that, you know, you workshop a lot in that realm and that we, we kind of had that atmosphere there. The music team was, you know, me, the composer, Sue Jacobs, the music supervisor and Nancy Allen, the music editor. And the three of us were really just like thinking of like, Oh, try this or this and presenting it to John. And John of course would be like, no, I don't like that. Or, yeah, let's try it. Let me think about it and, you know, sit on it. But we would all kind of play with ideas or play with, it was weird. It was not weird. <laughs> but it was a more collaborative, uh, it was almost like a team thought process. Yeah. You know? The hive mind, is that that stupid term? <laughs> sure. Yeah. But yeah, we were, we were trying to figure it out. Um, and it's a hard movie to figure out because there's a lot of different tonal changes mm -hmm. there's a lot of different uh you know twists of the colors and you know yeah. it's so many different directions you could go with the music mm -hmm. and you know i can't remember how we came up with this except my own kind of aesthetic interest and in how i thought it could go but certainly john wanted it to be a lot darker than the first inclination i think people might have thought the goldfinch would sound like yeah I, had you read the novel before you started working on the film project at all? No, I hadn't read the novel before. I I had seen, you know, since you're you're, the music is so last second, really, mm. uh, part of the process. Like I had seen maybe um, his cut, his director's cut, or like before a little before that. Mm. And, but at the, the time that I had, I, you know, got the, the audio book and it was like, I, had, I have to like simultaneously watch this, you know, have it on my Kindle and, you know, like do all these things so that I can get like some of the, the stylistic nature of her writing yeah. and, at least, and then, um, you know, see what they're doing with, uh, Roger Deakins cinematography, which disinformed a lot for me because, mm. I'm really scoring the film, uh, and it's a movie. I mean, it's yeah. not the book. And I think that's one thing that, uh, and I like, I mean, you know, I've been trying to think about it more and more. And I've, I've seen it about three times. No, I know exactly. I've seen it three times. <laughs> <laughs> How many times did I walk out? No. Oh, no. <laughs> I've seen it exactly. I've seen it three times since December, because that's when I finished. Hmm. Um, that's when we all wrapped up and we we're like, all right, see you in whenever. I don't know what's <laughs> whenever it's finished. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, you know, it's, it's really different. It has different ideas and it's different because it's not the book. And I think that mm -hmm. is, uh, an element that we even talked about when we were, you know, kind of in still in theory land, John was thinking out loud while we were recording it and it wasn't changing the recording session, but it was just, you know, he thinks a lot about what's going on and the ideas that are happening and, and, you know, he's just, what, just thinking about how this movie will 
state relative to the book because obviously that's a huge like question mm. but um you know for me i always thought of it as being uh, a different thing and that's important yeah sure step into the world of power loyalty and luck i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply hey, hey there. there i'm hannah and i'm audrey we are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. Um, you you had mentioned something that actually struck me um, when I was listening to the score by itself um, that was like, it goes a lot of different places, this plot, um, both physically, you know, there's um, Hobart and Blackwell's and the museum and the Barber's apartment in Las Vegas and Amsterdam. And and also tonally, there's a lot of different things happening here. Um, and one of the really fascinating, wonderful things about this score, I think, is that you manage to find all these different tones and all these different moments, but also um, connect them. And I think that has to do with the the interplay between the electronic and orchestral pieces of the score. Can you talk a little about your decision to intermingle those two or how you try to manage to get all these different tones to play together in the music as well as the images? Yeah, I mean, I'm always... I always love electronics and orchestral instruments and the pairing of the two just sort of naturally. So I kind mm. of come at music in that, at least currently, uh, in from that place. But I also felt like in this situation, um, I had this big orchestra. You know, we had decided that it needed to be, it's a big movie. It's going to be on a big screen. So mm-hmm. I needed to feel like yeah, yeah. theater. That was a huge state, like a huge part of it. It's like it needs to start like you're in a big movie. And um, the electronics play this kind of um, this role of uh, to me, it's it's when one when one kind of overtakes the other and then they add certain elements of grit and energy in different parts. So like I thought thought about it about th- this way it's like um the three parts of Theo's journey being like Theo yeah, in New York after mm-hmm. the thing that music you know the electronics have like they're they're there and they're 
and the, and the instrumentation, it's more ambient. It's not like um, in a place where it's not like the two elements of the orchestral and the electronic elements are um, intertwined in a way yet. They haven't like grown together. Mm-hmm. And when we get to Las Vegas and that one long cue, which was like the hardest yeah. piece of music that I wrote for this, this film where he's being transported all the way from New York to the hot sand deserts of uh, Las Vegas. Um, that's where the, the electronics really come alive and they just pulse through and they break out of the orchestra. And um, I wanted the world of Las Vegas to really buzz and beat and have like um, kind of a um, surreal world and foreign Mm. um you know just as he was feeling that way himself you know um and then when we come back to new york again when he's in when he's an adult it's like the music kind of comes back to it's a little bit more traditional tonality a little bit Mm. but like we've the electronics have this new edge to them that I think I've kind of pulled across from Las Vegas. It's like I'm kind of dra- dragging them in. And so those kinds of edgy, edgier sounds are now part of the vernacular. I mean, it's obviously it gets into this thriller world, which makes more sense uh, to do such a thing mm-hmm. to begin with. But um, there's also, you know, uh, like I'm trying to, to enhance that uh, engagement between those two in a very um, vivid and uh, the, the instruments are playing all sorts of extended techniques and they're you know scratching their uh, violins or scratching their instrument uh, bows and their mm. strings and all sorts of like weird sounds um, even though we're in the New York world there you know yeah there is that that Vegas um, moment does sort of like it's like that point in the story where there's before and after which is one of the first things that theo says in in the film that everything is before and after and before that those electronics they do sort of they almost mirror like the ash in the museum where it's sort of like this haze over everything and then in vegas they kind of explode right and the music after that it's similar but it's not the same the electronics they're they play a bigger part in that Um, yeah and I, i really like that there's this sort of like there's a sense of discovery uh, that i think is present in a lot of the tracks and he's making a lot of discoveries about himself particularly in the first part of the film and was that something that you were conscious of when you were when you were writing it or am i just, am i pulling yeah, that out of I my mean, butt <laughs> no, I, mean, I always like to write music that has some element of you know intrigue or interest in itself Mm. But certainly, I mean, her writing is that way too, you know? So it's like, Mm. I feel like I I was playing into those, into that world. And I felt like it was, wasn't too much. You know, it was like, there's like movies where a drone is like the best thing to do. Yeah. And this is not that kind of movie. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, I don't feel like it's heavy handed scoring but i could see where in another movie this kind of sc- 
scoring could totally be not the right thing, of course, yeah. right? Because it's too much stuff. It's too much music, quote unquote music. There's too much right. going on. There's too much this, too much, you know? And so it's it's doing a lot. There's a lot of things that are that are internalized, probably, you know, that like we can see in, in the cinematography, we can you know, that I'm kind of pulling out in the music, you know, yes. there's a lot of people doing a lot of work trying to, <laughs> trying to, you know, see what's going on. that's not said. Mm-hmm. And that's the difficulty of making this movie in the first place because of yeah. the, um, the quiet nature of people not talking. <laughs> in a book yeah, <laughs> definitely. There's a lot of not talking that happens in this movie. <laughs> and I will say like, I think that, it, um, that for me was one of the things that really resonated about the score. I felt like it was doing, um, not that, not that everyone else in the, involved in working on the film was not doing this, but I feel like the score was really doing a lot of heavy lifting in terms of letting us inside these characters and letting us feel what was going on in this moment and not in in a heavy-handed way. Yeah, and that's, you know, some people look at that and they think that that's a problem. When John and I were talking about it and we would talk through every scene and he wouldn't be like, um, you know, add a violin here or make it piano and electronics here. He would never talk about that. He talked about internal thoughts or where Theo is in his life or, I mean, like really kind of the stage direction concepts, you know, like talking to me like I was an actor. You know? hmm. And then so when the music's doing a lot of heavy lifting, you know, doing a lot, like, so what? <laughs> like, <laughs> is there a problem here? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're like, it's like a criticism to, uh, to the, to, you know, the, the air, the, the actors are, you know, Theo is a, a fucking drugged out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. So like, what do you want them to do? Both overdo it. And then the music's too much. I mean, then you create a melodrama. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, it's a complicated relationship, but, you know, sometimes the music does need to do a lot and that's like not a problem because I think, you know, like my favorite movie, 2001, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing. <happens laughs> Good taste, sir. Good taste. <laughs> I mean, so there's nothing that happens in that movie. Nothing is said essentially. And it's all about the movie giving you the music and the image giving you a sense, a vague sense of what it even means. So um, and this isn't anything like that, but the concept is yeah. that music has an important role here, and I'm advocating that that's okay, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Doesn't need to be the case all the time. Not everyone needs to be the star of the show, and I'm not saying I'm that either. <laughs> right. Just saying that, like, we talked about John and I and, you know, Sue Jacobs and Nancy Allen, we talked about music in that way, and that's that was the goal and that's what we tried to do. It wasn't because we were like, Oh shit, we have a problem here. We got to like solve this issue. (laughs) We actually intentionally made music this way. It wasn't like an accident. I didn't stub my toe. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) And make the score. (laughs) I actually think that's a perfect place to end on. All right. Um, So thank you so much for talking. That was, those, it's really interesting to hear about you know the process and and 
what it was like yeah. for you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Dan Bayer's interview with the composer for The Goldfinch, Trevor Garakis, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. The Goldfinch is now available to stream and to be purchased on Blu-ray, and we are asking for your consideration for Trevor's score for Best Original Score category at the Academy Awards. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.